Chapter 1 An Unexpected Party In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell, nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that means comfort. It had a perfectly round door like a porthole, painted green, with a shiny yellow brass knob in the exact middle. The door opened onto a tube-shaped hall like a tunnel, a very comfortable tunnel, without smoke, with paneled walls and floors, tiled and carpeted, provided with polished chairs, and lots and lots of pegs for hats and coats. The Hobbit was fond of visitors. The tunnel wound on and on, going fairly but not quite straight into the side of the hill. The hill, as all the people for many miles round called it, and many little round doors opened out of it, first on one side, then on another. No going upstairs for the Hobbit. Bedrooms, bathrooms, cellars, pantries, lots of these. Wardrobes, he had a whole room devoted to that. Kitchens, dining rooms, all were on the same floor, and indeed on the same passage. The best rooms were all on the left-hand side, going in, for these were the only ones to have windows, deep-set, round windows looking over his garden, and meadows beyond sloping down to the river. This hobbit was a very well-to-do hobbit, and his name was Baggins. The Bagginses had lived in the neighborhood of the hill for time out of mind, and people considered them very respectable. Not only because most of them were rich, but also because they had never had any adventures or did anything unexpected. You could tell what a Baggins would say on any question without the bother of asking him. This is a story of how a Baggins had an adventure and found himself doing and saying things altogether unexpected. He may have lost the neighbor's respect, but he gained. Well, you will see whether he gained anything in the end. The mother of our particular hobbit. What is a hobbit? I suppose hobbits need some description nowadays, since they have become rare and shy of the big people, as they call us. They are, or were, a little people, about half our height, and smaller than the bearded dwarves. Hobbits have no beards. There is little or no magic about them, except the ordinary, everyday sort which helps them to disappear quietly and quickly when large, stupid folk like you and me come blundering along, making a noise like elephants which they can hear a mile off. They are inclined to be fat in the stomach, they dress in bright colors, chiefly green and yellow, wear no shoes because their feet grow natural leathery soles and thick, warm brown hair like the stuff on our heads, which is curly, have long, clever brown fingers, good-natured faces, and laugh deep, fruity laughs, especially after dinner, which they have twice a day when they can get to it. 
Now you know enough to go on with. As I was saying, the mother of this hobbit, of Bilbo Baggins, that is, was the famous Belladonna Took, one of the three remarkable daughters of the old Took, head of the hobbits who lived across the water, the small river that ran at the foot of the hill. It was often said, in other families, that long ago one of the Took ancestors must have taken a fairy wife. That was, of course, absurd, but certainly there was still something not entirely hobbit-like about them. And once in a while, members of the Took clan would go and have adventures. They discreetly disappeared, and the family hushed it up, but the fact remained that the Tooks were not as respectable as the Bagginses, though they were undoubtedly richer. Not that Belladonna Took ever had any adventures after she became Mrs. Bungo Baggins. Bungo, that was Bilbo's father, built the most luxurious hobbit hole for her, and partly with her money, that was to be found either under the hill or over the hill across the water, and there they remained to the end of their days. Still, it is probable that Bilbo, her only son, although he looked and behaved exactly like a second edition of his old, solid and comfortable father, got something a bit queer in his makeup from the Took side, something that only waited for a chance to come out. The chance never arrived until Bilbo Baggins was grown up, being about fifty years old or so, and living in a beautiful hobbit hole built by his father, which I have just described for you, until he had, in fact, apparently settled down immovably. By some curious chance, one morning long ago, in the quiet of the world, when there was less noise and more green, and the hobbits were still numerous and prosperous, and Bilbo Baggins was standing at his door after breakfast, smoking an enormous long wooden pipe that reached nearly down to his woolly toes, neatly brushed. Gandalf came by. Gandalf! If you had heard only a quarter of what I have heard about him, that I have heard only very little of all there is to hear, you would be prepared for any sort of remarkable tale. Tales and adventures sprouted up all over the place wherever he went, in the most extraordinary fashion. He had not been down under the way, under the hill, for ages and ages. Not since his friend, the old Took, died, in fact, and the hobbits had almost forgotten what he looked like. He had been away over the hill and across the water, on businesses of his own, since they were all small hobbit boys and hobbit girls. All that the unsuspecting Bilbo saw that morning was an old man with a staff. He had a tall, pointed blue hat, a long gray cloak, a silver scarf over which his long white beard hung down below his waist, and immense black boots. Good morning, said Bilbo, and he meant it. The sun was shining, and the grass was very green. But Gandalf looked at him from under his long, 
bushy eyebrows that stuck out farther than the brim of his shady hat. What do you mean? he said. Do you wish me a good morning? Or mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Or that you feel good this morning? Or that it is a morning to be good on? All of them at once, said Bilbo, and a very fine morning for a pipe of tobacco out of doors, into the bargain. If you have a pipe about you, sit down and have a fill of mine. There's no hurry. We have all the day before us. Then Bilbo sat down on a seat by his door, crossed his legs, and blew out a beautiful gray ring of smoke that sailed up into the air without breaking and floated away over the hill. Very pretty, said Gandalf, but I have no time to blow smoke rings this morning. I am looking for someone to share in an adventure that I am arranging, and it's very difficult to find anyone. I should think so, in these parts. We are plain, quiet folk, and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I can't think what anybody else sees in them, said our Mr. Baggins, and stuck one thumb behind his braces and blew out another even bigger smoke ring. Then he took out his morning letters and began to read, pretending to take no more notice of the old man. He had decided that he was not quite his sort and wanted him to go away. But the old man did not move. He stood, leaning on his stick, and gazing at the hobbit without saying anything, till Bilbo got quite uncomfortable and even a little cross. Good morning, he said at last. We don't want any adventures here, thank you. You might try over the hill or across the water. By this he meant that the conversation was at an end. What a lot of things you do use good morning for, said Gandalf. Now you mean that you want to get rid of me, and that it won't be good till I move off. Not at all, not at all, my dear sir. Let me see. I don't think I know your name. Yes, yes, my dear sir, and I do know your name, Mr. Bilbo Baggins. And you do know my name, though you don't remember that I belong to it. I am Gandalf, and Gandalf means me. To think that I should have lived to be good morning to my Belladonna Took's son, as if I was selling buttons at the door. Gandalf, Gandalf, good gracious me, not the wandering wizard that gave old Took a pair of magic diamond studs that fastened themselves and never came undone till ordered? Not the fellow who used to sell such wonderful tales at parties about dragons and goblins and giants? and the rescue of princesses and the unexpected luck of a widow's son? Not the man that used to make such particular excellent fireworks. I remember those. Old Took used to have them on Midsummer's Eve. Splendid! Dear me, he went on. Not the Gandalf who was responsible for so many quiet lads and lasses going off into the blue for mad adventures. Anything from climbing trees to visiting elves, or sailing in ships, sailing to other shores. Bless me, 
life used to be quite inter... I mean, you used to upset things badly in these parts once upon a time. I beg your pardon, but I had no idea you were still in business. Where else should I be? said the wizard. All the same, I am pleased to find you remember something about me. You seem to remember my fireworks kindly, at any rate, and that is not without hope. Indeed, for your old grandfather Took's sake, and for the sake of poor Belladonna, I will give you what you asked for. I begged your pardon. I haven't asked for anything. Yes, you have. Twice now. My pardon. I give it to you. In fact, I'll go so far as to send you on this adventure. Very amusing for me. Very good for you. And profitable, too. Very unlikely, if you ever get over it. Sorry? I don't want any adventures, thank you. Not today. Good morning. But please come to tea. Any time you like. Why not tomorrow? Come tomorrow. Goodbye. With that, the hobbit turned and scuttled inside his round green door and shut it as quickly as he dared, not to seem rude. Wizards, after all, are wizards. What on earth did I ask him to tea for? He said to himself as he went to the pantry. He had only just had breakfast, but he thought a cake or two and a drink of something would do him good after his fright. Gandalf, in the meantime, was still standing outside the door and laughing long and quietly. After a while, he stepped up and with the spike on his staff, scratched a queer sign on the hobbit's beautiful green front door. Then he strode away. Just about the time when Bilbo was finishing his second cake and beginning to think that he had escaped adventures very well. The next day, he had almost forgotten about Gandalf. He did not remember things very well, unless he put them down in his engagement tablet. Like this. Gandalf T. Wednesday. Yesterday, he had been too flustered to do anything of the kind. Just before tea time, there came a tremendous ring on the front doorbell. And then he remembered. He rushed and put on the kettle and put out another cup and saucer and an extra cake or two and ran to the door. I am so sorry to keep you waiting, he was going to say when he saw that it was not Gandalf at all. It was a dwarf with a blue beard tucked into a golden belt and very bright eyes under his dark green hood. As soon as the door opened, he pushed inside, just as if he had been expected. He hung his hooded cloak on the nearest peg, and, Dwallin at your service, he said with a bow low. Bilbo Baggins at yours, said the hobbit, too surprised to ask any questions for the moment. When the silence that followed had become uncomfortable, he added, I am just about to take tea. Pray come and have some with me? A little stiff, perhaps, but he meant it kindly. And what would you do if an uninvited dwarf came and hung his things up on your wall without a word of explanation? They had not been at the table long. In fact, they had hardly reached the third cake, and there came another, even louder ring at the bell. 
Excuse me, said the hobbit, and off he went to the door. So you have got here at last. That was what he was going to say to Gandalf this time. But it was not Gandalf. Instead, there was a very old-looking dwarf on the step, with a white beard and a scarlet hood. And he, too, hopped inside as soon as the door was open, just as if he had been invited. I see they have begun to arrive already, he said when he caught sight of Dwaylin's green hood hanging up. He hung his red one next to it, and, Balin, at your service, he said with his hand on his breast. Thank you, said Bilbo with a gasp. It was not the correct thing to say, but they have begun to arrive had flustered him badly. He liked visitors, but he liked to know them before they arrived and he preferred to ask them himself. He had a horrible thought that the cakes might run short, and then he, as the host, he knew his duty and stuck to it however painful, might have to go without. Come along in and have some tea, he managed to say after taking a deep breath. A little beer would suit me better, if it is all the same to you, my good sir, said Balin with the white beard. But I don't mind some cake. Seed cake, if you have any. Lots, Bilbo found himself answering, to his own surprise. And he found himself scuttling off, too, to the cellar, to fill a pint beer mug, and then to the pantry to fetch two beautiful round seed cakes, which he had baked that afternoon for his after-supper morsel. When he got back, Balin and Dwaylin were talking at the table like old friends, as a matter of fact, they were brothers. Bilbo plumped down the beer and the cake in front of them, when loud came a ring at the bell again, and then another ring. Gandalf's for certain this time, he thought, as he puffed along the passage. But it was not. It was two more dwarves, with both with blue hoods, silver belts, and yellow beards, and each of them carried a bag of tools and a spade, in they hopped, as soon as the door began to open. Bilbo was hardly surprised at all. What can I do for you, my dwarves? he said. Killy at your service, said the one. And Philly, said the other. And they both swept off their blue hoods and bowed. At your and your families, replied Bilbo, remembering his manners this time. Dwaylin and Balin here already, I see, said Killy. Let us join the throng. Throng, thought Mr. Baggins. I don't like the sound of that. I really must sit down for a minute and collect my wits and have a drink. He had only just had a sip in the corner while the four dwarves sat at the round table and talked about mines and gold and troubles with the goblins and the depredations of dragons and lots of other things which he did not understand and did not want to for they sounded much too dangerous. When a ding-dong ding-a-lang, his doorbell rang again, as if some naughty little hobbit boy was trying to pull off the door handle. Someone at the door, he said, blinking. Some four, I should say, by the sound, said Philly. Besides, we saw them coming along behind us in the distance. The poor little hobbit sat down in the hall and put his head in his hands and wondered what had happened, 
and what was going to happen, and whether they would all stay to supper. Then the bell rang again, louder than ever, and he had to run to the door. It was not four at all, it was five. Another dwarf had come along while he was wandering in the hall. He had hardly turned the knob before they were all inside, bowing and saying, At your service, one after another. Dory, Nori, Ori, Oin, and Gloin were their names, and very soon two purple hoods, a gray hood, a brown hood, and a white hood were hanging on the pegs, and off they marched with their broad hands stuck in their gold and silver belts to join the others. Already it had almost become a throng. Some called for ale, and some for porter, one for coffee, and all of them for cakes. So the hobbit kept very busy for a while. A big jug of coffee had just been set in the hearth, the seed cakes were gone, and the dwarves were starting on a round of buttered scones when there came a loud knock. Not a ring, but a hard rat-tat on the hobbit's beautiful green door. Somebody was banging with a stick. Bilbo rushed along the passage, very angry, and altogether bewildered and bethundered, that there was the most awkward Wednesday he had ever remembered. He pulled open the door with a jerk, and they all fell in, one on top of the other. More dwarves, four more. And there was Gandalf behind, leaning on his staff and laughing. He had made quite a dent in the beautiful door. He had also, by the way, knocked out the secret mark that he had put there in the morning before. Carefully, carefully, he said. It is not like you, Bilbo, to keep friends waiting on the mat and then open the door like a pop gun. Let me introduce Biffer, Bofer, Bomber, and especially Thorin. At your service, said Biffer, Bofer, and Bomber, standing in a row. Then they hung up two yellow hoods and a pale green one and also a sky-blue one with a long silver tassel. This last belonged to Thorin, an enormously important dwarf, in fact no other than the great Thorin Oakenshield himself, who was not at all pleased and falling flat on Bilbo's mat with Bifer, Bofer, and Balmer on top of him. For one thing, Bomber was immensely fat and heavy. Thorin, indeed, was very haughty, and said nothing about service, but poor Mr. Baggins said he was so sorry so many times that he last he grunted, pray don't mention it, and stopped frowning. Now we are all here, said Gandalf, looking at the row of thirteen hoods, the best detachable party hoods, and at his own hat hanging on the pegs. Quite a merry gathering. I hope there is something left for the latecomers to eat and drink. What's that? Tea. No, thank you. A little red wine, I think, for me. And for me, said Thorin. And raspberry jam and apple tart, said Bifer. And mince pies and cheese, said Bofer. And pork pie and salad, said Bomber. And more cakes and ale and coffee, if you don't mind, called the other dwarves through the door. Put on a few eggs, there's a good fellow. Gandalf called after him as the hobbit stumped off to the pantries. And just bring out the cold chicken and pickles. 
seems to know as much about the inside of my larders as I do about myself, thought Mr. Baggins, who was feeling positively flummoxed, and was beginning to wonder whether a most wretched adventure had not come right into his house. By the time he had got all the bottles and dishes and knives and forks and glasses and plates and spoons and things piled up on big trays, he was getting very hot and red in the face and annoyed. Confusticate and be bother these dwarves, he said aloud. Why don't they come and lend a hand? Lo and behold, there stood Balin and Dwalin at the door of the kitchen, and Philly and Kildee behind them, and before he could say knife, they had whisked the trays and a couple of small tables into the parlor and set out everything afresh. Gandalf sat at the head of the party, with thirteen dwarves all round, and Bilbo sat on a stool at the fireside, nibbling at a biscuit. His appetite was quite taken away, and trying to look as if he was all perfectly ordinary and not in the least in adventure. The dwarves ate and ate, and talked and talked, and time got on. At last they pushed their chairs back, and Bilbo made a move to collect the plates and glasses. I suppose you all stay to supper, he asked in the politest of unpressing tones. Of course, said Thorin. And after, we shan't get through the business till late, and we must have some music first. Now to clear up. Thereupon the twelve dwarves, not Thorin, he was too important, and stayed talking to Gandalf, jumped to their feet and made tall piles of all the things. Off they went, not waiting for trays, balancing columns of plates, each with a bottle on top, with one hand, while the hobbit ran after most of them, squeaking with an almost fright. Please be careful, and please don't trouble, I can manage. But the dwarves only started to sing. Chip the glasses and crack the plates, blunt the knives and bend the forks, that's what Bilbo Baggins hates. Smash the bottles and burn the corks, cut the cloth and tread on the fat, pour the milk on the pantry floor, Leave the bones in the bedroom mat. Splash the wine on every door. Dump the crocks in a boiling bowl. Pound them up with a thumping pole. And when you've finished, if any were whole, send them down to the hall to roll. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. So carefully, carefully with the plates. And of course they did none of these dreadful things. And everything was cleaned and put away safe as quick as lightning while the hobbit was turning round and round in the middle of the kitchen, trying to see what they were doing. Then they went back and found Thorin with his feet on the fender smoking a pipe. He was blowing the most enormous smoke rings, and whenever he told one to go, it went up the chimney, or behind the clock on the mantelpiece, or under the table, or round and round the ceiling. But wherever it went, it was not quick enough to escape Gandalf. Pop! He sent another, smaller smoke ring from his short clay pipe, straight through each one of Thorin's. Then Gandalf's smoke ring would go green and come back to hover over the wizard's head. He had a cloud of them about him already, and in the dim light it made him look strange and sorcerous. Bilbo stood still and watched, 
He loved smoke rings, and then he blushed to think how proud he had been yesterday of the smoke rings he had sent up to the wind over the hill.